Revelation chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read through um, Revelation real quick, and then we'll get into the actual study. Today's um, message will be more um, more, uh, more like a sermon than a lesson, more preachy than teachy. Some people um, have said that they don't know the difference between teaching and preaching. Um, There's a very, very big difference between the two. A lesson will usually, in case you don't know, a lesson will usually give you something that you can just learn by. You can ask questions for. You can ask questions in a sermon as well, but um, a sermon... Can you imagine if I go with my hand? Well, yeah, in the middle of a a sermon, that's that's kind of rude, but... (laughs) Uh, I mean, this is this is more is more preachy. It's not it's not really a sermon. It's it's a lesson still, but it's more preachy than it is teachy. Um, and 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 what I mean by that is it's it's um, more applicable, I guess, than it is about learning what is happening. I well, you're going to learn what's going to happen in this chapter, but at the same time, um, it's 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 something that we need to take into consideration for today and utilize today. So, uh, Revelation chapter nine. Um, I'm just going to read through the chapter, and then if you have any questions about it, um, <coughs> we will ask those. And then uh, I'll let you know if, if we're going to cover that topic. But in the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. To the star was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit. As the smoke of a, a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. You couldn't see the sky. That's how that's how much smoke was coming out of, of this pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die. And death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. Um, And I'll explain a little bit more of that and what that depicts in a minute. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. That was who the key was given to in verse 1. Uh, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, and I heard the number of them. Um, that's 
200 million is what that depicts. And thus I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So there's a lot going on in this chapter. Um, I think a lot of it is pretty self-explanatory. But any, any questions before we dive in? No, you don't have any like. I don't understand what this. Go over it, maybe. maybe. <laughs> go over everything. Sometimes I forget <laughs> certain things. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of keep this a little brief. Like I said, it's gonna be more preachy than than teachy. So, if there's any questions now, is a good time to ask it. No. Okay. Okay. It's kind of refresh ourselves uh, of where we left off last. We have seen um, the seven seals opened. Um, prior to this chapter, to reveal different things that were to happen during the tribulation. Now, angels have appeared to sound seven trumpets, which are to represent each stage of the seals that were aforementioned. In, in chapter 8, they, they blew only four of the seven trumpets, and each trumpet led to something worse and worse. The first trumpet led to hail and fire mixed with blood falling on the earth, causing a third of the earth's trees and grass to, to be burned up and destroyed. Uh, the second led to a third of the sea becoming blood and unusable, and a third of the creatures in the sea were killed, also devastating a third of the ships that were in the sea as well. The third trumpet led to a star falling from the sky and, and making a third of all drinkable water completely undrinkable and poisonous, where if you were to drink it, you would die. Uh, and then the fourth led to a third of the sun and moon and stars being darkened, and a third of the day was made to, to be as like night. Uh, so the, the night will last longer than, than the day. It will last a third longer. The night will last a third longer than the day. Is there supposed to be like, is that, is that what they're talking about when there's a lot of the darkness for a long time? Um, wait, for, for when? I'm talking to a girl at work. And she was telling me how she has candles for when that happens. So a third of the day, I, there's, so there's a lot of um, pictures or depictions that um, people have of this particular thing. I think what it means by that in regards to a third of the day being being dark, because um, it says it says that a third of the sun and moon and stars will be dark. So so only one third of the sun will will not shine. For that specific part of the day and then it says that one third of the moon will also be dark too so a third of the moon will not shine either and then a third of the stars are going to disappear um they'll be dark as well um but i think i think a good majority of that will be because of smoke um and fire and and um a lot of uh destruction um as when smoke goes up you can't see you know most of the sky um but i also believe that that is also literal as a third of the day will be gone. Um, but that, 
it won't be forever gone. Like it, you, it won't be dark for a long portion of time. It'll just be darker for electricity. Um, during that time, probably there'll probably still be electricity. I mean, people have generators and, and solar powers. And, um, uh, this this is geared towards people that are not saved. So, so a third of, of the population that will, that will, and, and we'll talk more about this, um, especially in chapter 10, but, uh, a third of the population that will experience this are people that don't have, uh, you know, the God's mark on their foreheads, which is mentioned here, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. Yeah. So, so God, God puts a mark on, um, puts a mark on people as well uh, again we'll, something I did not get. we'll talk about that <laughs> it's gonna be confusing when this happens. <laughs> it won't be confusing because you'll know the mark of the beast is 666 it's pretty self-explanatory <laughs> or his name um, whereas god's mark is not revealed so you'll you'll be able to figure it out pretty easily but either way um i think uh, the the people that are going to experience this are the people that that are um, not saved, um, which will be a good majority of the earth, um, and those that are saved, that are still on the earth, um, won't have to worry about it. But it, and we'll talk more about that. I think in chapter ten, I don't think we'll really touch on that here in chapter nine, but um, chapter ten talks more about that. So you could read ahead if you wanted to after the study, after the Bible um, study, and, and see what what that means. But we're going to stick to chapter nine for the Bible study. Um, but th- when the chapter ends, uh, chapter eight ends, um, it ends with uh, it says it says that John sees uh, an, an angel uh, flying over, saying "Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth!" At the blast of the whole other other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Um, written, well, actually, it says "Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound." Is what it says, but I just kind of simplified it a little bit. Um, but it's indicating that the next trumpets are going to be far worse. Those first four were nothing compared to the next, the last three that are about to sound. The last three are going to be the worst things to happen here on earth. And we, we look at two of them here in chapter 9. Um, the next two trumpets are, are sounded in this chapter. And it doesn't look great for those that have been sh- stuck here on earth um, those that are protected by God won't have to deal with the repercussions of the sins of the rest of the world. But those that have not will have to face some really terrible things. Um, the last three trumpets are to present the three woes that are mentioned in chapter 8 and in, in verse 13. Those three woes are to demonstrate the harshest part of the end of all humanity as we know it. They are not just a saying. They are a literal representation of what these people are about to experience. They're about to experience woes. Um, in life, uh, we often experience woe moments when somebody gets cancer. We're like, just like, whoa, like that, that's, that's insane. That's, in, that's so sad, you know, or if somebody died, passed away and you got in a car accident, whoa, you know, we feel that uh, we're at a funeral. It's, it's a whoa moment we feel that. And that's W O E. That's what that means. It means to feel woe. But then we also experience woe moments, especially as Christians. And I, I believe that Christians are really the only ones that can experience woe moments in W-O-H. Woe moments. Like, whoa. Like, that's insane. That's incredible. Like, whoa. How did they do that? Um, and, uh, and and in the end, that's, that's what we're going to be facing. The Christians are going to be facing the woe moments, the W-O-H moments, whereas the, the, those that, with, that are without Christ 
are going to experience the woe moments, the W-O-E moments. Um, and, I, and I have it written here for the Christian to see what God is doing will be filled with woes, W-O-H-Hs. Uh, and for the non-Christian to experience the things that God is doing, they'll be filled with woes, W-O-E moments. They'll be hurt. We'll be excited, but they'll be hurt. But God has everything planned to the letter. He has not left anything out. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what Satan's going to do. He knows exactly what the demons are going to do. He knows exactly what the people of earth are going to do. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly what people in heaven are going to do. He knows what the angels are going to do. He literally commands the angels to do them. Um, but he has everything exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And this chapter is not a hard one to understand, and I don't think I'll have to do much explaining to really get into the causes of this. But it is an extremely important important chapter to the end of times because we'll, we'll get to see what kind of justice God has planned for those who've betrayed him and, and who have killed his children and who have battled against him uh, thinking they have the upper hand, that they can overthrow God, you know, taking Satan's advice and thinking that they can be stronger than God is. Uh, actually, it's fascinating to me to think that there are atheists out there uh, who have the audacity to call all of human life a big accident, making ourselves to be such a little effect to the universe and then believe they're bigger and mightier than a god, the creator of all things. You can't call us small and then call us all-powerful. It's not, it's not how that works. It, it must be one or the other. If we're not small, then this means we were created with purpose and reasoning and intricately. We have a design. We have specificity, which means that the Big Bang and their, their theory on, on everything being an accident has no reasoning. It has no stance. And if we're all powerful, then we certainly can't be considered small, and, and nothing should stop us from doing things that are seemingly impossible. But as the great unknown writer once said, the sky is the limit. And I call him the great unknown writer because he's written a lot of quotes, and we don't know who he is. Um, he's just, his name is unknown. Anyway, truth be told, the sky is the limit with a limited mind. We put limits. But when we have God, we can go far beyond that. The sky's not the limit. Luke 137 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. We can go further than, than what we even imagined we could do. So as we jump into this, we need to, we need to really focus on uh, the things that God has planned and how, how he has them planned and understand that everything runs through his hands, even those things that seem torturous and detrimental to our times. Verse number one says, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. There's a lot of symbolism in just this verse alone that I want to get into real quick. This key was given to Satan to open up hell so that the demons could be set free to do what they pleased, which we'll talk about more um, in the coming verses. But I understand this to be Satan because it's mentioned later in verse 11 what his name was, um, which we'll get into later on as well. But he is also seen coming into the picture the same way he fell from heaven the first time. So if you read that verse again, it says, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. In Luke um, chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven onto the earth. He saw that. That's what Jesus says himself. He saw Satan come from heaven onto the earth. Uh, so this was no accident. God didn't accidentally give him the key to open up hell and, and release demons. God allows us to happen, I believe, for a few reasons. Number one, God shows he shows us that he can control all demons, including Satan himself. Satan can do nothing without God's authority. In Matthew 28, 18, 
It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Uh, Matthew 8, 31, 32, it says, So the devil's beside him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. He's, he's, they're pleading with Jesus. The demons are pleading with Jesus. If you're going to cast us away, let us go into pigs. And he said unto them, Go. And, let it, and literally giving them what they want. If you, you guys want to live as pigs, you guys go into the pigs. I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you do that. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. They drowned themselves because they didn't want to deal with Jesus. They knew that Jesus was all-powerful. They knew who Jesus was. And these pigs... Uh, there's there's people there that saw this happen and they were freaking out but these pigs drowning themselves for seemingly no reason um, was a serious sign that jesus was god in the flesh he had all power in james 2 19 it says thou believest that there is one god thou doest well you believe there's one god that's a good thing he says but the devils also believe and they tremble there they know as well but they're fearful of god what's funny to me is people that uh, claim themselves to be a religion religionists or or a specific kind of christian or even um somebody that that says that they believe in god and they believe in jesus they have no fear of god they don't understand the devils even fear god we should take note of even how the devils fear god but number two i believe that not only does he demonstrate this to show that he can control Satan and the demons, but he also gives the people what they so declare, they, that this is what they wanted. This is what they wanted from the beginning, and this is what they're going to get. I believe a great majority of people during this time, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later, and especially in this chapter, um, but a good majority of the people during this time will look for idols to worship. That's what they want. They will continue to live their lives in false worship just like they did before. Nothing will change. Everything will be the exact same. They'll shun God and, and, and create whatever idol that makes them feel good about their bad decisions, about their sinful lifestyles. Nothing will ultimately change at the end of the world because they still won't follow God even after God gets their attention through the first four trumpets. Look at all of these things that's happening around you, and yet they still won't believe. They still won't turn to God. This is how it is today. People have viewed this COVID pandemic and thought to themselves, it's, it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's this city or that city. It's this state or that state. This person is overreacting. Uh, uh, that person is being too paranoid. This person hates everyone. Uh, that person is too accepting of vaccinations and blah, blah, blah. I could go down a whole list. When in reality, God has control of all things, including what types of diseases are in the world. He could literally take away cancer if he saw fit to do so. He could take away COVID. Actually, he could have made it possible to continue our mundane, everyday lives without us even ever experiencing something like this. We could have never seen COVID. He could have made that happen, yet he didn't. He allowed us to experience, in one of the first places that was attacked, as soon as COVID hit, our government attacked the church. That was the first place, closing down the churches. And I believe that was for a reason. And I don't think it was because of the government's sake. I believe it was because of God's sake. I believe God had that happen for a reason. He allowed us to experience this particular thing for a cause. God tested the entire world's faith. And nearly the entire world failed. Almost everybody. Nobody knew what to do. Every single church was just completely decimated, completely confused, had no idea what to do. 
And this isn't even the ultimate test, which is written about here in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. If this is how we are acting at this significant, much smaller moment in time, in this test now, what makes us think, well, no, there's a lot of people that fall, fell away from the church as soon as COVID hit. Yeah, but not everybody failed, I'm trying to say. <laughs> Name one person that didn't. We still, even though the churches are closed, we still got together, even though it was online, to worship him. And, and did that work for you? What do you remember from online church? It's not, it's not that, um, it's not that, how do I say this? We still all came together. How do you church, figure? As a church family online. No, we didn't. Do you know how many people watched online church? No. There was like 20 of them, maybe, on a given Sunday. Out of the thousands of people that go to our church, that's okay. nothing. So 20 of them didn't, didn't um, fail. <laughs> and how many, how many of those church sermons do you remember? Name one of them. <clears throat> just one, even just name well, one topic. It's been over a year now. Just name one topic. <laughs> it, I can remember stuff that's happened from five years ago from a church service that just held my attention. Yeah, young brain. But not not a single one from an online service could I say I remember. And the reason is, is because everything else is at our attention. We can't pay attention to church when we're not in the church. Not only that, but the Bible specifically says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And it says so much the more as we see the day approaching, which is talked about right here in Revelation. We should be doing it more as the world starts to end, not less. And that's exactly what we did. And that's not just the issue. That's not the issue at all. The issue is, as soon as churches open back up, where were the people? No one was to be found. Thousands of people fell away from the faith. Thousands of people. And not only that, and, and maybe it is I mean, starting to get crowded again. People, I don't know, but <laughs> Probably. But it might be getting crowded again. But not only that, it, goes, it went to show how many people were really fake in, in their endeavor. And not only that, it showed pastors and, and preachers that were fake in their endeavors. Teachers, people that, that were ministry workers that were just doing it just for numbers. They weren't doing it because they were pouring into people. They weren't doing it because they had compassion on the lost or on the, on the saved, for that matter. They weren't doing it because they had a commission from God. They were doing it because they were getting a paycheck and they had people in the church. Those are the only reasons. And when you didn't have that, those two things... Pastors and preachers started to worry. Which goes to show that their test ultimately failed. They failed that, that one single test. The church is not supposed to be a place of, of, of uh, money. It's not supposed to be a place where we can just exchange information. It's not supposed to be a place where we can just go and meet with friends. The church is supposed to be a hospital. It's supposed to be a place for hurting spiritually, hurting people. For people that are, are dead spiritually, for people that need new life, which I think is why this church is such a great name, New Life. I, I, it's supposed to be for people that, that need direction, that are able to, to, to talk to people about their hurts, about their issues. That's what church is supposed to be. And almost all the churches lost that as soon as COVID hit. But again, even even though the church is shut down, and that's you know that is what it is. It, it it that happened, and I'm not I'm not putting it against the pastors, because they had to follow with governmental orders. I get it, I understand all of that, 
but they didn't do what they were supposed to do after it. They were still continuing to be Christians. That's what they're supposed to be. They're still supposed to be open to talking to people, still supposed to be loving people. Jesus didn't just give up because, you know, people made it hard on him because they kicked him out. He continued to find people that were hurting and he went to them. He went to people that were sick. He brought his disciples with him to people that were literally had deadly diseases, contagious, deadly diseases that his disciples could get. No problem. And he went to them and he preached to them and he loved them and he showed how much he cared for them. And it wasn't all just about preaching either. It was about showing compassion and care, showing them God. And that's what pastors missed. That's what a lot of these preachers missed. And that's what a lot of these people are going to miss at the end when revelation does take place, when, when the ultimate end of the world does come to pass. People are going to experience that exact same thing, except worse from what we have read. James 1, 2 through 4, James says it this way, My brethren, meaning the people of God, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When you're tried, when God tries you and puts you through this, this difficult situation, the first thing we should go to is wait. Just waiting on God. We missed that mark altogether. If COVID has revealed anything to us, it has revealed how little patience Christians actually have. It has revealed who is walking by grace and who's just faking it. Those with grace won't just show it to those that are saved. They'll show it to those that aren't. They'll desire all men everywhere to be saved because of the grace of God and would be willing to do whatever it took to make sure that they heard the gospel, even if they had to preach it outside and on the street corner. They can't save others, but, but they can certainly show grace. It's easy to tell who's walking by grace and, and who's not. God's grace labors through us and gives us the desire to do God's work and will. That's what God's grace does. If we don't have a desire to do what God has us to do or wants us to do, we don't have God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. It was not useless. It was not for no reason. But I labored more abundantly than they all. I did more than anyone else, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was within me. God's grace allowed me to do those things. God's grace allowed me to be more frugal and more fervent in preaching the gospel and loving people. That's what God's grace does, <coughs> is it leads us to do those things. God grace, God's grace helps us know the right direction and the right words to say to those that don't know him. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, which is Eva's life verse, it says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Everyone's without grace, specifically, and they're out without God's uh, salvation, we're supposed to walk towards them, redeeming the time, meaning that our time can be spent and we should be redeeming that with God's word. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to ought, how you ought to answer every man. Our, our, our speech should be grace-filled. God's grace should run through our speech and what we say and, and what we do and, and the direction we go, who we're talking to, that should all be filtered through God's grace. If we are Christians, God's grace allows us to pray promptly in the way that we should, knowing that God hears us 
and desires to converse with us. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The whole reason we come to God in prayer, we come to the throne of grace, that's, that's God's throne, that's his, it's, it's a graceful throne, he's giving to us freely. The only reason we go to that is so that we can help others by our own grace. God's grace doesn't just end at our salvation. We don't just accept God's grace and then we live our whole lives you know, in God's grace. No, 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 no. God's grace is continual. It's something that's given to us daily. In 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul warns Timothy, he tells him, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, G- in Christ Jesus. Continue to, to build your strength in, in Jesus' grace. God bestows grace on us so we know how to, to be graceful to others. De- Jesus demonstrates this even further through a parable, and, and I want you to read this with me because it's, it's very viable, it's very um, vital to our 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 thoughts on grace and how we should treat people specifically, especially those that have done us wrong. In Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then came Peter to him and said, so Peter saying this to, to Jesus, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? How often shall, so, shall somebody that I love do something bad to me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Should I, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times 7. And this doesn't just mean, well, 70 times 7, that's what, 700? No, no. <laughs> that means just continue to keep forgiving them. Don't stop forgiving them. It says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. So now he's going to tell them a parable how to re- react to this. This is a story on how to react to somebody and forgive somebody. He says, which would take account of his servants. So this king is taking account of his servants. He's trying to figure out who is serving him and what they owe. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. This is a large amount of money that most people couldn't pay off during this time, especially. And, uh, so, and he knew that this person owed him that much. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. He said, okay, if you can't pay me, you're going to be sold, and your wife, and your children. You're going to be sold off. That will be, your debt will be forgiven if, if you just sell your, your whole family and all that you have and the payment will be made to me. And the servant who, who owed the money therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. Just just wait, and, and I'll pay you everything. I'll pay thee all. Uh, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He saw this man. He, he was so serious about it, and he was so hurt, and he didn't want to lose everything. And he said, and he loosed him. He let him go and forgave him his debt. He said, I'm, you don't have to pay me anything. You just go your way. You live your life. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, somebody that was serving under him, which or serving with him, which owed him a hundred pence, owed him money, owed the servant money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. So he's kind of reversed the roles here. He's been forgiven of his debt. <laughs> then he goes to somebody that he works with and he says, you owe me money, you're going to pay it to me. He grabs him by his throat, nevertheless, and says, you're going you're gonna to pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, saying the same thing, and I will pay thee all. Saying the same thing that he's already said, but he would not. So the servant wouldn't, wouldn't allow him to do that, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what was done, they were very sorry 
and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. So the person that forgave his debt now knows what he had done, and, uh, and, and now he's going to retaliate in this. He said, then, this, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Shouldn't you have also forgiven that person, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, he was angry, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So he ended up having to, to do what, what he was pled not to do before. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Now Jesus comes back full circle. He says, this is exactly what God will do to you if you don't forgive those as well. If you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. If you don't forgive others the things that, that, that they're doing, your Father from heaven will not forgive you for the things that you're doing. May we bring this to memory when it involves what kind of grace we desire from the Lord. And I mean this from the Lord's standpoint. We have to bring this to memory when it involves the kind of grace we desire from God. Whatsoever type of grace we give to others, I believe is a direct reflection on the type of grace we will receive from the Father of all grace. Whatever kind of grace we give to someone that we hate is the same kind of grace that God's going to give to us. What kind of grace do we desire? Verses 2 to 3. And he opened, Satan opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So the smoke coming out of the ground like, like a great furnace is a representation of what hell will more than likely be like. Uh, we have already heard several um, descriptions of hell be told throughout scripture, but there is never really any clear-cut imagery that lets us know how hell will be. Well, we don't really know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly what heaven's going to look like either. We have little snippets and clips of what both will be. We just know a few things. We know, we understand that heaven is, or hell is hot. Uh, in Matthew thirteen fifty, Jesus says, and, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So people that are not saved will, will end up there. But we are, oh, that's another thing that we understand, that those who do not accept salvation will end up in hell rather than in, in heaven. In Luke 12, 5, uh, Jesus continues to say, but I, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. I'm going to tell you right now who you're going to fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed both power to cast, or after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. God is the only one that has the power to cast people into hell. That's the one we're supposed to fear. In Revelation 20, 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those people that are not found written in the book of life were those that are not saved, as we already know. Um, we've, we've mentioned this several times throughout multiple different um, um, lessons already. But um, in case you don't know, the Lamb's book of life was something that was written uh, even before the foundation of the world, even Moses mentions it. He talks about it um, in, in Exodus. He says, if it be possible to, to for, for, forgive them for what they've done after the people have sinned against God, he says, if it be possible just to forgive them what they've done, and if not, blot me out of thy book. And that's what Moses says. And he's speaking about this specific book. And this was something that was written hundreds, 
of thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago. I don't know about hundreds, but tens of thousands of years ago. Um, so it, it's, it's obvious that those that are not written will end up in hell and those that are will end up in heaven. We understand that it was not made for us too. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. And the only reason we end up there is because of our disobedience to God and the rejection of salvation. Uh, in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what hell is prepared for. It's prepared for, for Satan and his demons. It's a pretty good assumption that the, the imagery here uh, is the angel opening up hell to allow demons to roam and hunt on earth freely. Those people will never accept Christ. And they are continuing to live in sin and destruction, which is exactly what demons enjoy feeding on. Satan and his demons love to kill. God and Jesus love to give life. Verse number three says, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. First, we see these creepy locusts-looking things, <laughs> locust-like things. They're not, they don't even look like locusts, and we'll get more into the imagery of that. Um, but this mimics the eighth plague of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the coasts of Egypt. Um, very grievous were they. Before them, there, was, there were no such locusts as they. Uh, these, these just came out of nowhere, seemingly. Neither after them shall be such. Uh, for they covered the face <laughs> of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and that they did not eat every herb of the land. And that's what locusts do. Um, they, they, they destroy plants and uh, vegetation and all the fruits of the trees which the hail had left and, and there remains not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. And that's what locusts do. It, it seems God continues to use those same plagues already provenly used in the Old Testament as a lesser example of what is to come in Revelation. Locusts, however, usually that's what they eat is vegetation. That's, that's what they're made to do and, and the food supply um, that are growing throughout the land. And throughout the years, we have seen many locust plagues, countries, um, and, and destroy nearly everything as far as food, food supplies. And in 2020, not that long ago, uh, there was a plague of locusts that came to Ethiopia, destroying everything in their path. And there's pictures of it. And I, I just should have gotten and put some pictures up, but you look it up yourself, um, just of locust plagues. It's, it's disgusting. I mean, the, the amount of, of locusts that are flying around, you can't even see. Like, you can't see in front of you because there's so many locusts. And there's there's pictures of, of people walking through it, and it's just, you just see them all just everywhere. And it's crazy. And, and in 2019, uh, Somalia was also covered in a, in a locust plague. Israel in 2013, and I can keep going back for centuries. Uh, locusts have been doing this for a long time. But this particular scene in Exodus is like the most incredible one um and there's there's so many locusts destroying so many things that um we we never see something like that before and we'll never see like that something like that again here we see the same kind of thing happening but these are not locusts and my, my point ultimately is these locusts attack these locust attacks are going to be very different compared to what god has um has in store here in this particular chapter these locusts will not even touch the vegetation or food supply um, they won't even look like locusts. They'll just swarm like them. They'll just act like them. There'll be so many of them that that's what they'll think that it is. They will more than likely be demonic spirits that will attack rather than insects. Um, and we assume this by the description that uh, will be revealed in, in the coming verses. Verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men 
which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. The seal of God. So, and, and this will be mentioned a little bit further as well. And I think we already mentioned it, but the seal of God is for those that, that have been saved on earth. They'll be sealed um, after or during the time of the tribulation. Um, and I don't know if this will be a literal seal that people can see or if this will just be a, a spiritual seal that, that God has put into place for those that have been saved after the fact. Which, by the way, is a possibility. I just want to point that out because a lot of people think that, you know, after, after you know, um, the, the rapture, or after, yeah, after the rapture and everything happens, you know, people aren't going to be saved. That's, no, that's not true. There's going to be people that are here that will be saved, but it's not going to be many. Um, and at this point in time, when, at this chapter, no one else will be saved. It's, it's, it's done. The people that have saved, are saved are already saved, and people that aren't saved will never be saved. They won't even try. Uh, but uh, verse 5, it says, and, and to them it was given that they should not kill them. They're not going to kill these people, but that they should be tormented five months. They're going to torment these people for five months, and their torment was as a torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. This is a terrible, like the worst possible experience ever. Just by the fact that, that what they're about to experience, but what they're experiencing it from is like a nightmare. It's literally like something you see in a scary movie. Um, but God will make them live in, in agony for five months. That's what it says, and they won't even be able to die. They won't be able to kill themselves, I don't think. I think they'll try to kill themselves, but I don't think they'll be successful. It says death will flee from them. Death will, will leave. They won't even be able to die. And while this seems harsh and cruel, it will be well-deserved for the kinds of lives these people will live, the, the people that they've killed, the, and the disgusting acts that they've caused to those that love God. These people will literally be guilty for murder, 90% of them, uh, actually 100% of them, um, which we'll read about more in verse 20 and 21. Um, but these these people will, will ultimately deserve what they get. This is people that are torturing Christians is going to happen to? Yeah. Yeah, these are people that, that have killed Christians um, or that are just not... These are bad people. I mean, like the worst of the worst. Like what we experience now is nothing compared to the, the way people are going to be back in the future because they're, they're going to be lawless. They're not going to have any laws. They're just going to do whatever they want, whatever seems right in their own eyes. And again, we'll, we'll read about who the, what kind of people these are in verses 20 and 21 later but um but god takes the death of his children very seriously in, in in psalm 116 verse 15 it says precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints god sees that and and finds that extremely uh, first of all if he sees somebody murdered as one of his children murdered he takes that extremely seriously uh, one of his commands is thou shalt not kill and he does that for a reason he doesn't want us to kill he doesn't want us to murder one another but especially his child his own son who is which by the way his own son was killed for us but us th those that are adopted into the family of god we if we end up dying he doesn't he doesn't like that and a lot of these christians during this time will be killed um which will be run by satan mostly but and we'll get into that later on as well but but he takes that very seriously. So these diseases and these plagues and stuff that are happening, this is all for a reason. It's all for a specific purpose. And that was because of how evil this generation was. Verse 7 says, In the shapes of the locusts, this is what the locusts look like. We're, we're like on the horses. So they're small. I would imagine they're probably small because there's a bunch of them. They're small. They look kind of like horses prepared for battle. 
so they probably look like they had like some sort of armor on and on their heads um uh were as it were crowns like gold There's, it wasn't gold but it looked like crowns so they're probably spiky um and and their faces were as the faces of men so it looked like a human on their faces these little insect horse things look like human uh, faces and they they had long hair like hairs of, of women and their teeth were as the teeth of lions so they they had sharp teeth verse nine <laughs> I do remember that but I don't remember what they look like <laughs> maybe that's where they got their inspiration I have no idea. In verse nine it says and they had breastplates on as it were breastplates of iron so that they couldn't be squished or killed or, or destroyed and the sounds of their wings just their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. So it sounded like there was billions of them just from one uh, one of these these demons. And verse 10, it says, And they, they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. So these stings, these scorpion stings, these, these stingers that they had were just like scorpions. So you imagine this little horse-like thing that had a male face with female hair and sharp teeth and a crown and a breastplate and then a tail like a scorpion they weren't made to kill these people they were made to just torture them for five months imagine these little demons coming these people can't die and they're just being stung for five months straight that would be awful what a huge what a superhero guy that doesn't sound like a superhero that turns into that monster monster he's like a guy and he has like a monster inside of him a hulk <laughs> no it's a black it's a black monster with these te ugly teeth i don't remember that. the movie was just there's a new movie out right now venom yeah oh it's not a superhero it's a villain he's a spider-man villain uh, no. No, well the movie's a little different i no, guess either way <laughs> These, these creatures will be awfully disgusting. That's, that's all I can say. I wouldn't expect anything less from demons, though, to be honest. I mean, these are demons we're talking yeah. about here. Um, and maybe this is truly how demons actually look. Maybe this is the real look of demons. I have no idea. But they'll show their actual selves at the end of the world. And Satan will look different, too. Uh, he, he used to look like an angel, as these de demons looked as well. They look like angels. So are these people that went to hell? Uh, demons? No. These were angels. These were fallen angels. All of them that, um... Every single one of these locust things are, are all just fallen angels. These are all just uh, Satan's uh, uh, minions. Um, but they, but they, I'm sure they look like they look like angels at one point. But when they decided to live for sin and and, and come to, to earth and then leave heaven, it changed their appearance into something obviously pretty fright, frightening. Why um, so many fallen angels? Because they they thought that that Satan knew what he was talking about, and they just believed him. And but we know the end of the book, so obviously they do too. Otherwise, they wouldn't tremble at the sight of God. But they made a mistake, and now they have to live with it. See, the difference between us and angels is angels only get one chance. And they had a choice, and they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into, and they still went for it. And it says a third of the angels followed Satan as well. God uses a third a lot in these trumpets that are sounding. A third of the moon, a third of the water, a third of the sun, a third of the stars. A third of the angels fell as well with, with, with Satan. But, uh, but these, I think, I think the reason that they look like this is because sin always reveals how people really look. And it will reveal how these, how these angels really look. 
and how Satan will really look. In verse 11, um, it says, and they, and they had a king over them. The, the king was the person that, was, um, that had the key, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is uh, Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon, which Apollyon is probably more common or better known um, as a name for Satan. Apollyon actually means destroyer. That's the literal definition of, of that name. Uh, we understand this name to be Satan's because that is all Satan does. He destroys. God builds. Satan destroys. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief, Jesus says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan has come just to kill, and to steal, and destroy, but I am come to give you life. In 1 John 3.8, John says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It must not, it should not be hard. It must not be hard. It should not be hard for us to be able to tell who is used by Satan and who is not. It's pretty easy to figure out that person's probably not saved, or that person is probably being used by Satan at this moment, because something about them changes. You can just see it. In, in, in their face. And, and this happens to Christians as well. Christian men and women who suddenly you know, Satan is able to, to get control of, you can just tell in their countenance and the way that they, 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 they're just the way that their face shapes or the way that their, their spirit feels. You usually don't even have to really talk to them to just feel it. There's something wrong. Um, and that's usually Satan. So he, he reveals himself um, in, in these kinds of ways. And then in verse 12, it says, one woe is past. <laughs> All of that, and that's just one woe. There's three woes in chapter 8, and there's two more uh, um, trumpets that are supposed to sound. So one woe is passed, and behold, there come two woes more after, more hereafter. Um, this is just the first woe, and, and, and it already seems pretty awful enough. Like, I, I couldn't see how it could get worse. But of course... It can still get much worse. Um, someone, uh, a great unknown um, uh, author, once again, uh, said uh, um, that uh, every bad situation um, could always be worse. Um, but really, how much worse could the end of the world be? I mean, let's just be honest. Every bad situation could, could be worse, but the end of the world, I mean, it can't get much worse than that. Um, especially when you're dealing with this for five months, um, you wouldn't think anything is worse. Yeah, at that point, I'd just rather die. <laughs> um, anyway, verse 13. It says, And the sixth angel sounded. So now we're, we're coming up with the sixth trumpet. And I heard a voice from the hor four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. In case we don't remember what the golden altar is, um, this is the same one that, that held the prayers of the saints in chapter 8. Um, in, in Revelation 8, 4, it says, And the smoke of the incense, which came from the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Um, so that's really what this is talking about is this, um, these, these prayers from these saints, this altar, um, which was the altar is to Im implicate the saints that have died. Um, they gave sacrifices on, on an altar in the Old Testament. Um, and then there's going to be a golden altar in heaven um, with the prayers of the saints um, who have died during this time um, and those those people um, are going to to show themselves mighty in this particular situation will god will anyway um using this this sixth trumpet um verse 15 um actually verse 14 says 
saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Um, you got to do a little historical backtracking here to understand what he's talking about, like why Euphrates, why that river. Um, but the great Euf uh, river Euphrates uh, marked the eastern boundary of, of Rome's influence during the, tom the time that John uh, was writing this. So, so Rome had boundaries to which they couldn't cross. Uh, the great river Euphrates was the end of their boundary, was the end of their influence. If you went past that river, there were great armies who threatened the empire, the Roman Empire. So the river is to represent the only thing holding back chaos and destruction. And God is basically saying, let them go. <laughs> let them cross that river. Let them do what they need to do. The releasing of the four angels was to represent unprecedented amounts of bloodshed and suffering. In other words, people are, are going to die. So not only were they tortured for five months from these crazy-looking demon things, um, but then they're going to just be killed. They're just going to be destroyed. Um, once again, I, I, five months, I don't know why he chose five months, but I have to assume there's uh, implications for that. But I think, honestly, he just gives reason after reason for people to continue to be yeah, saved, and they still won't. Five months? Yeah. No. <laughs> Three months is a fourth of the year. Five months. No. Maybe. Uh, well, I mean, the math. <laughs> Four and a half months would be a third of the year. Right? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I, I mean, that would, that would make sense, I guess. But um, the point is, that I think he's just giving uh, just time for them to do what needs to be done, still giving them an, an opportunity to, to turn. Um, but again, they won't because they're dumb. Um, and again, we'll get into that in a minute. Verse 15 says, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men, meaning they were waiting for this specific time to do what they needed to do. God is working in thirds, as we've already learned. And not everyone will be killed off, but a third of everyone will be from these four angels. It's, it says it once again, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day for to slay the third part of men. So not everyone's going to die, just a third part of all human life um, that is sinned against God. And these angels' whole purpose for existence, the entire reason that they were made, was for this specific moment. It says they were waiting for this hour and a day and a month and a year. They were waiting for this one moment to be released and to do what they needed to do. These angels had that one specific purpose. They knew the day, they knew the month, they knew the year, and they were supposed to be released, and they waited, and they were anticipating, and then they were let loose, and they succeeded in what they, their ultimate goal was. Then in verse 16, it says, um, and the number of the army of the horsemen, these are the, the, the people that were um, demons, are now uh, turning into an army, were 200,000,000. And I heard the number of them. That's, that's, that's 200 million. Once again, that, that equivalent, equivalent to 200 million. 200,000,000 000 is not a number, in case you didn't know that. But if you put 200,000,000 together, it makes 200 million. Anyway. These troops are to represent demons, not, not the humans who are on earth. Some people, some scholars think that there were the humans on earth that were making an army to attack God, but there's nothing they can do to God. So the demons are the only ones that are able to have access to God. In case you didn't know, Satan has access to God, 
I don't know if you knew that, if that's important to you. And we know this because of the book of Job. In the book of Job, it says that Satan went to God and conversed with him and said, look at Job. I bet you if you put your hand against him, he would, he would disgrace you. He would, he would curse you in the face. And he says, you can touch Job. You can do whatever you want. Just don't kill him. And I bet you he won't. <laughs> and so Satan is, has free reign over Job's life and ends up killing all of his children and his livestock and everything else that Job had. But, but the point is, Satan was able to go to God. And in this particular instance, these demons will have that same opportunity to be able to go to God, which means there's going to be a great battle that's going to wage. Um, and they have 200 million troops, 200 million demons, apparently, that are able to, to take down uh, or try to take down God. And it, but it's nothing compared to, to, to those who worship God. And we've read this already in Revelation 7, 9, in case you don't remember. It says, after this I beheld, John saw this, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. There were so many people of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, worshiping the Creator. And it was a number that no one could, could, it was so many people that no one could number them. It was so great a multitude. So 200 million troops seems like a small footnote compared to what the kind of army God has, which we will be in that army as well. Um, there's a song yeah, about that. You, I was going to ask you that if we're going to be fighting with them. We will be fighting with them. We'll be in that army. If anything, maybe we won't be fighting. It'll probably be the angels fighting more than anything because we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But we'll be worshiping and we'll be rooting <laughs> for, for the angels. Um, and we'll just be excited to see, you know, the, the end of it all and then see the war being taken place and then Jesus coming and stopping everything and putting Satan in hell, and which I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, but our, our, the multitude that, that is... Why are they made a movie about this? I, you know what? They probably have, but people, people twist... People twist and contort <laughs> things that, especially what Revelation says, they think that there's a lot of like, and there is a lot of symbolism, but they think that everything is symbolic. So therefore, you know, everything has a different meaning than what it actually says. And, and they just ruin it. So I'm sure they've made movies about it, but they've just, they've completely missed, missed the point of what is being written here. But um, I don't remember what I was saying, but there, there's, there's a good majority of people that are, are on God's side more than on Satan's side. Again, when Satan was cast to earth, there was only a third of the angels, which I don't know how many, maybe that's only 200 million angels. This is a third of the angels were, were uh, followed him as well. But verses 17 to 19 says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, these are the, these are the demons, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth, which I think is a type of like fire. It's like a molten rock. And brimstone, which is also a type of molten rock. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. These demons like fire, obviously. So um, this is a lot of symbolism with, with fire. Um, verse 18 says, By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. And 19 um, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. Maybe I misread this. Maybe these horses are the, the angels. Because it says, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. I don't, I don't know. Either way, 
I mean, it still it still accumulates to everything that I've already said, and it still works perfectly well. Um, but the, the, these are obviously not normal people, uh, whether they be you know demons or the angels it doesn't really matter. Um, but then they're not normal horses. Um, I have to believe that it's the demons. The, the, that one verse is kind of kind of strange in there, but the the demons have that that have been released think they might have one over on God, and it was talking about two hundred thousand of these horse or two hundred million of these horsemen, um, and there was only supposed to be four angels. So I don't really understand, um, and maybe I just missed something because I paused for a second. There. I don't I don't know, but either way, I know that there's two hundred million of tr of the of demons or troops of demons that are trying to uh, attack God's um, people and God's angels and stuff like that um but these are obviously not normal and, and, and the demons have been released um so that they might try and take over or have one over on god um and they think that they're cap more than capable of sticking up for themselves um uh well, but we'll see soon how that plays out for them <laughs> anyways in verse 20 it says uh, and the rest of the men and this is this is how the men were even still after all of this happened the rest that were remaining which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils. They continued to worship devils um, and idols and gold and silver and, and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see. These things can't see, nor they can hear, nor talk. They can't talk. They can't hear. And then 21, this is, this is how you know exactly what the kind of people that they are. It says, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So these people were living... Uh, adulterous lives and murderous lives and um, stealing and just living just as freely as they want. No rules, no implication, no moral uh, issues, no moral anything, no moral implication. But in verse 20, it's, it's really no surprise. Mankind is addicted to sin and idols. Uh, even if everything seems to fall apart, they will be seen cleaving to their addictions. I uh, read a book um, to Melody um, about mummies. That's part of her curriculum, um, and it's it's a it's a book about a, a real mummy, about a real uh, king that was um, that died and was buried, and in the book, um, they believed that that the king uh, would go into some sort of afterlife, um, and there's multiple gods that would help him, um, and and uh, so they they buried all of his gold and his treasures with him which was custom back then because they believed that he could take all those things into the next life and use them and play with them all those things that that made him happy and he, he's able to use them and play with them and, and and live off of them um and uh i was talking to melody about this and, and she's like why would they do that i was like because they they don't know the real god they don't know what really happens after you die um and she's like but you can't all that stuff stays there i said i know and then Thousands of years later, if somebody finds the the tomb and they they see all of the gold still there and all of the treasures still there because they didn't know they had no idea they they didn't know any better they didn't believe what the Bible said they just believed in whatever they wanted to believe in whatever family tradition was passed down to them and it seems like that's never changed they're still in the same exact type of mentality and granted they might be alive and doing it but so were the kings back then. Uh, they think that they can accumulate as much as they, they possibly can before they die and, and that they'll lead a, a good eternity afterwards, and that's just not true. As somebody once said, and I'm sure my dad said it several times, he who dies with the most toys wins. 
Wins what? I don't know, but they win. You can't take it with you after you die. After you die. So... <laughs> we'll see we'll see it sounds like a party so far <laughs> anyway this is nothing new Barney obviously man these people that are being stung by by these weird scorpion things are gonna think it's hell that's for darn sure and rightfully so because they're being stung by demons <laughs> but they haven't experienced the torture and torment of hellfire yet and then verse 21 i'm gonna finish it off here they didn't repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their fornication, or of their thefts. Uh, repentance means nothing if we're not turning to God. Uh, they could repent, but if they don't turn to God, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna last. They're just gonna go right back into the same lifestyle they've ever they've always done. Uh, they can't repent repent unless they trust in Christ. That's what repentance is. A phony repentance will not save a man. It will not open his his eyes to to his his, to the truth and to his sin that's literally all around them. They could see a third part of everything on earth completely destroyed and still hold to their sins because they simply don't want to believe in God. They'll, they, they'll get what they desire, but they'll only receive what they desire here. It will only last for now. They'll be buried with their treasures, but their treasures will stay. And even if they are buried with it, with their treasure. And they think they could, uh, like the mummies in their tombs, go into the afterlife with their treasures. God will burn everything up with fire eventually anyway, so that there's nothing left here on earth. In, in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9, it says, I will bring the third part through the fire. I'll bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I'll hear them I'll say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. In this particular time, during Revelation, they won't call on God. They'll be brought through the fire, but they, they won't call on God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13, Paul understood this. He said, every man's work shall be made manifest. During this time, during the time of Revelation, during the end of the world, everyone's work is going to be shown. It's going to be presented. Everyone's going to see it. This is for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. God's going to show it and he's going to try and destroy it. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the fire, if it destroys it, you'll know what kind of work it is. If it doesn't destroy it, you'll know what kind of work it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, if it stays and it doesn't get destroyed, he shall receive a reward. And God will give him a reward. What that reward is? I don't know. Just the fact that you get to go to heaven is a reward enough. But there's obviously some sort of ultimate re reward from, from the Lord. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so has by fire. He's saying, you can be saved. Paul ultimately saying is, you can be saved, and you can still not do the work that God has called you to do. You'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. That's a great reward. But every, everything that you did here on earth will be gone. But if you're saved and you do God's work, everything you did here on, on earth will last for all of eternity. It'll never go away. Buried with your treasures or not, if your treasure's laid up in heaven, nobody can reach it. 
Thieves can't come in. Rust can't rust it. No, nobody can destroy it. We have to lay foundation now for when this does ultimately happen. We have to set up our treasures now so that when fire does come from heaven, which it does talk about that here, when fire does come from heaven, our work's not burnt up. What we do now, our sowing and reaping matters for all of eternity. What, I, you know, things, things may have me go wrong and, and, and backwards and things may not happen like you thought they would. But, and, and you can think of even like, um, like when you go on, like when we went, we went to Texas and, and things turned completely differently than what we, what we thought. And we ended up coming back. I don't know exactly what, what happened in, in regards to the purpose of me going out there. But I do know that if I reached at least one, that's all that it matters. Because if you look outside in your backyard, you didn't plant any of the seeds for grass, right? No. All it took was for one seed to be planted for all of that to appear. And that's all it takes for flowers as well. You, you, you know it from your own garden. You plant one seed and thousands of fruits begin to appear, right? And that's the same thing with our, with our work for God. When we plant one seed and when we're doing the work that God has called us to do, we have compassion. When things are tried by fire, when, when fire is literally falling from heaven, we know our work can be sustained because we know it's eternal. But when we aren't doing that and fire falls from heaven, we'll be saved, but we'll have nothing to show for it. It is possible to go to heaven without sowing seeds, but... The ultimate question is, is it possible for a Christian to live comfortably without applying God's will on their, on their lives? Is it possible to be a Christian and not do what God wants you to do? Is it possible to live freely in this life without owing everything to the Lord? And then the last question, what will our life look like? What will our possessions look like? What will our treasures look like and all the work that we did? when it's tried by fire. Any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints? Before I...